0: Today is the day we celebrate the birth of the church. That's what Pentecost means in case you're thinking, what is she talking about? I have in fact told two people this week, one might be in this room, when they ask me, what is Pentecost? I don't know what that theological... Ah, it's the birth of the church. Oh, that's much easier to connect with. So when we say Happy Pentecost, we're saying this is the day, or at least somewhere in the region of the time of the day in which the church celebrates the birth of It's birth, the birth of the church by God through the power of his Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read to you about that from Acts chapter 2. Actually, I might ask Paul to read it to us in just a minute. I'll pray, pause while I pray, or come, and you can read it. I don't know if that microphone will work. But let's see if there's a miracle between now and then. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and we dedicate this time to you. You are Lord You are great God, you are mighty God, faithful, merciful, kind, redemptive and loving God. And in the quiet of this moment we choose to align our hearts with yours and to submit ourselves to you. And we give permission for you and your Holy Spirit to engage with us. And we ask that in this sacred space and time that you would speak to us and that afresh you would open our hearts to your presence. Do the thing you do, God. Do whatever it is you want, for you are God and we are your children. And we've decided to follow and obey you. So we commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
1: Okay. Because each one heard them speaking in this own language, in his own language, utterly amazed, they asked, "Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language—Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and?" The parts of Libya near Syria, lucky they're not alive to hear me mispronounce them. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem,
0: Man, thank you for reading those difficult names for me, Paul. That got me out of a sticky situation. <laughs> it's a tricky reading, that one. comes up every year and I think, oh, not that one again. Thanks. <laughs> the birth of the church, Pentecost, is a day we celebrate something new happened. There's this long history and we've been reading this history and walking with this history, this celebration of what it is to be the people of God as we've watched God form a covenant with his people. And we've been travelling all the way from Adam at the beginning of last year. Do you remember? Whose favourite was Abraham's story? Anybody? Anyone remember Abraham? Whose favourite was Jacob? Anyone like Jacob? He was my favourite last year. All-time favourite Jacob wrestled with God. What about David? Who loved David? Yeah, he's an easy one to love. He's so good at everything he did. And in fact, had the Holy Spirit on his life, which made him a significant character. Who liked Moses? Anyone like Moses. Moses. That's my, that's my attempt at the, yeah, Charlton Heston, yeah. Okay, well, here we are. And it's like the, the Bible has been circling around this story of um, the people of God and they're in covenant and they fail miserably and they need a saviour. So God sends them a judge or a leader or a king. And over and over we get this circle of um, ongoing story that seems to be going somewhere but never really arrives. And if you get to the end of the Old Testament, we haven't made our way, we're having a break. We haven't made our way all the way to the end of the Old Testament. But I can tell you it ends with the story hanging. There's something missing. There's, it's never arrived at this moment that you're kind of expecting if you read it all the way through, which I don't recommend unless you've got lots of time. And then you should. But you get to this point where you think, well, the covenant's been made and God's made this promise and there was this great king once and there's this promise of this great king coming again. But Israel has been through the ringer and they're still not really anywhere better. What's going on with this story? And then the opening of the New Testament tells of a girl who's willing to obey God and carry the Son of God. And the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And the story changes energy and you get this sense that there is something happening here that hasn't happened for generations. And Jesus walks on the earth and we go, oh, he's like David, but he's not a warrior. He's kind of like got all the love and all the power and all the authority, but he doesn't rule the nation. What's? And you get this hunch that there's something amazing going on. And then Jesus is taken to the cross. None of this is in my notes. Anyway, let's go with it. Then Jesus is taken to the cross. And you think, not again. The great hero of the story has been crucified. And Israel's got to look for another hero. But in just three days, Jesus rises from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall not perish but have life. And the story changes energy and something different is happening and a new covenant has begun that does not end in death but ends in life. And all of the story that's been building to this, all of the pain and the sorrow and the sadness and the horror has been met by the hero who carried death upon himself and overcame it to life. And the disciples, they, don't, oh, they can't believe it. They're in the story that everybody's been waiting to get to. It's their story. They're in that story. They're in the answer to the stories they've learned their whole life. And then Jesus gathers them together 40 days after he's risen from the dead and he says, all power, all authority, all of mine I give to you. Go and make disciples. Take this news out. That the whole world will know there's an answer to their story. And then he says, wait in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere. And I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. This is the end of Luke. Wait and I will send my Holy Spirit who will give you the power to be my witnesses. And this is where we pick up the story today. The disciples are in one room. There's not just 11 of them, there's about 120. And they're praying and they're waiting. And it's 10 days later. Who hates waiting? (laughs) I watched this thing the other day at the ministers' conference, and they talked about every generation has to wait less for things because of their instant inventions. So, you know, like me, I I don't like to wait too long for a coffee because there's such a thing as instant coffee, and I feel great about that. You know, that's a quick fit. Oh, some people don't appreciate instant coffee. Anyway, but there are others who can't handle, you know, the little buffering symbol? Here are the disciples, 10 days. Who would have lost their mind and gone home? Yeah, bailers. (laughs) They wait And they pray, and they wait, and they pray, and they wait, and they pray, and they say, "Surely God is going to do something, because He hasn't finished the story yet." And as they wait and they pray, suddenly a rushing wind comes upon them. Did you have? Who had the wind the other week at home? Did anyone have that wind around your house where you thought maybe the roof will fly away, and you'll say, "Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore." Yeah. That was the kind of wind it was, rushing wind. And they looked amongst one another and there were tongues of fire upon each other's head. This is a weird thought. I don't like the smell of burning hair. It's a very strange thought. But here's the deal. These are the symbols that we know when we remember back to the stories we've been doing of the Holy Spirit. Cloud of fire, cloud, pillar of smoke. The sense of the presence of God is upon them. And it's not one cloud they're all gathered around, Spirit of God on every single individual. Something has changed forever. It's like when you give birth. If you've given birth, you know what I'm talking about. Everything changes. You say some things you never thought you would say. This happened at Pentecost when the birth of the church took place. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Your life is forever changed. Things are forever different. From now on, there's always a presence that you know that you never knew before. When God birthed the church, he placed his Holy Spirit upon every single person, no exceptions. Every single believer, no exceptions. This is true for all of us. When we become believers and followers of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes upon us. We don't generally see a tongue of fire on each other's head or feel the rushing wind. We don't generally feel these things. But the truth remains that God has forever changed the deal. No longer is God far away, but He dwells within us. No longer is He, Emmanuel, coming. He is Emmanuel, God with us. God within us. Everything has changed the church. They're not like the old Jewish religion. Jewish religion had lots of sects of people. They had the Pharisees, they had the Sadducees, they had a whole bunch of other people who followed the Jewish religion with their own interpretation. That's how it was. They were incredibly diverse amongst a group of people who followed the Torah. And yet, an Israel, Christianity could have become that. In fact, that's kind of how they imagined themselves at first. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were set apart. Not the same as any other religion. Look around at the religions in our world and we don't need to have an attitude of disrespect when we think of other religions, but we can discern a difference and the difference is that the Spirit of God dwells within us. It's not the same as following an ideology. It's not the same as just keeping up the rules. It's not the same as a lifestyle choice. The Spirit of God lives within us and we are forever changed. That's the transformation power that took place at Pentecost. Not only does the Spirit live within us, but He empowers us to live differently. It's not about trying to retrain your brain and get good patterns and only ever do the right thing and eat certain things on certain days of the week and all that kind of behaviour. Actually, the Spirit of God produces his righteousness within our spirit, the Bible calls it the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it doesn 't come because we 're good it doesn't because we 've got it because we 've got it together it doesn't because we 've got the right heritage. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is produced by the Spirit of God who lives within us and wants for us to live lives full and therefore he forms us and transforms us and takes away our hatred as we let him take control and he fills us instead with love and he takes away our jealousy when we hand it over and instead he fills us with the confidence of who we are in Christ Jesus ourselves and he takes away the power of words spoken over our life and He says only my words matter about who you are that is the empowering transformation of the Holy Spirit unlike anything that ever seen before And on top of that, he spins around their concept of mission. The Jewish mission idea was this, build a temple in Jerusalem. Everybody comes to Jerusalem for the festivals to celebrate God. They all gather together. They sing the Ascension Psalms on the way to the Jerusalem temple. And every year they come and they worship in one place. And we know Jesus did this because when he was 12, he got left behind, remember? Remember? At the temple because his parents were in the practice of going to the temple and he was hanging out and having such a good time that he forgot to go home with everybody else but when the holy spirit came something different happened instead of being followers of a religion and coming to a certain place they were empowered as apostles to be sent out into the world, carrying the good news. God was no longer located in one place, He was lo- located within us, and as we go, we take Him with us. And as we speak to our cafe, well, you're not the cafe worker, you should be. As we speak to our cafe worker, we carry the gospel of Jesus and the light of love in the way we engage with whoever we see, even if they've got a Superman jumper. The mission of God is no longer come in, come in, conform, conform, be a little huddle and cuddle. It's go out, go out, and take this news in my power so that others may also experience this one thing that no one else is offering, the presence of the living God within us. The early church was a phenomenal place. Spend a little bit of time in Acts, and you it blows your mind to think about what church was like. Probably wasn't like this, might have been Might have been this noisy, I've got a hunch it was. But the early church saw a whole bunch of things, supernatural and amazingly natural, in their um, community. They welcomed the stranger. They welcomed people they would never have spoken to before. They didn't talk to Gentiles. They walked on the other side of the road. They avoided them. They believed they were unclean. Now we're all Gentiles and we benefit from the fact that God changed their thinking and understanding when God said, what I have made clean, let no man say is unclean. They're welcome. The stranger is welcome now in my family. Not only that, but they saw miracles. People were healed almost from the very beginning of the early church. Not everybody, but many people were healed as part of the outworking and the presence of the Holy Spirit within them. They spoke in tongues, as Josh pointed out. Different languages, not just once, but many times when the Holy Spirit came upon new communities, one of the evidences was speaking in tongues. They shared with the poor. This is a true miracle, can I say. They sold what they had and they gave it away. That doesn't come from human desire. That comes from miraculous power of God within us. They were transformed by the holy the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They saw people released from prison. They saw people raised back from the dead. Their houses shook with the presence of God when they prayed. This would have been a great place to be. Anyone ever wished that they were in the first church? Do you ever at night time just think, imagine what that would have been like? The wildest ride of your life. And you never expected, you've never read it in a book before. You didn't know this kind of thing would happen. The presence of God was so tangible for them that even persecution to death didn't stop the church from growing. They knew God. They knew his presence. They knew his promises. They lived in the confidence that he was their God and he would take care of them. Well, you might be thinking what I was thinking. How could the church have started so brightly with this great energy and roar of the Holy Spirit that for 300 years maintained this incredible momentum, although there was ebbs and flows throughout that season? How did it end? What brought it all to an end? And the answer is long and complicated, and you can borrow my church history book after Adam's finished with it if you really want to read how it ended. But let me give you a brief summary. There was a man called Constantine And he was a Roman emperor who had a vision of God and had a long and strong desire to unite Rome and be the ultimate power. So we had two things at work in him. And when he became the emperor, he united the bishops to ask them to get their theology straight because as you can imagine, when something organic like the presence of God rolls out across the earth, people... Begin to learn themselves and they kind of get their own ideas, and there's a bit of chaos around how theology is. And so, Constantine says to the bishops, Come to Nicaea, we're going to get some things straight about who Jesus was. Was he the Son of God or wasn't he? Was he fully God, fully man? Was he divine and human? We're going to get a couple of things together, we're going to write ourselves a nice creed. And we're going to know who we are. And the Nicene Creed was written, took a bit of time to write, but it was written and in writing it, people got a sort of orthodox or true theology of what the church represented in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a watershed moment for Christianity. In some ways, it gave people a measuring stick of who God was. And that was very, very helpful because there was a lot of disunity But the trade-off of the Nicene Creed and coming unto Constantine's call was that they deferred power to Constantine as well. And suddenly the emperor found his way into the church and there was a tension where the church felt they needed to include the Roman emperor, not just Constantine, but as time went on, in their discussions and then it was kings. And as they went along, the church deferred the power and the authority to a human power and not to God's. So we this massive contrast. Here is the early church and they're waiting on God and he turns up in power and it's power that no philosophical person could replicate. The transformation in community was unreplicatable but over time they just transferred the power that they and the authority they looked to, not to God anymore but to humans who could enable them to have power. I remember as a teenager watching, this shows my age, some of you all know this movie, watching the movie The Three Musketeers with Keith Sutherland. Some of you know this one? And also Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, both written about a similar era and both of them with wicked cardinals and priests. And I remember thinking, what a bad representation of the church was. How did the church get to this evil place they were in? me years, only last year did I find out the journey when I read along to discover that what happened was the church was so intertwined with the power and longed so much for power that they abandoned the power of God. But always throughout this era, pockets of people would pull away into the desert, the monks or the nuns, into the abbey. They'd run off and they'd try hard to get back to the grassroots shape of what it was to live in the kingdom of God under the authority of Jesus Christ. And in the, the 15th, 1500s, Martin Luther nailed his jiggy-higgy on the jiggy-higgy, you're all with me. And in doing so, said about what God was already doing amongst the people in creating a, a Protestant church that once again would submit to the presence and the power of God and his word. And from that time on, we've lived in a very interesting space watching different denominations seek the presence and the power of God to this day. And we stand as recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ through 2,000 years and with the unwavering nature of the Holy Spirit who would pursue his people despite the fact we so often turn to a power that is not of God. But not us not us, right, not at Baronia Community Church of Christ. We are the people of God here who say that Jesus Christ is Lord and his Holy Spirit whom he promised and gave to the church dwells within us. And we too are the people of God living in this season, bringing about the presence of God in our local communities. Is that right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Martina. We are the people of God. And this same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church to begin with dwells within our heart, dwells within our spirit. Sometimes it doesn't seem like the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you feel like, where's the power of God? Do you ever feel like that? But the reality is that God calls us just as he did in the very beginning to pray and to wait and to draw near to him for his presence. God, I've got five minutes. I'm in a hurry, but I've just got this little thing I wanted to ask you to solve for me. Anyone? Yeah. Wait. They waited 10 days. We can't even wait for a buffering signal. Wait. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You want to engage with the presence of God, you can't tell him what to do on your schedule because he doesn't fit in your diary. He doesn't fit on your um, plan of events for the calendar this week or this month. He has a plan and a purpose and he invites you to get on and me to get on board with his calendar of events. Come, take a closer walk with me. In Ephesians it says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we become Christians, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But we are not expected to have a one-time one to talk to the Holy Spirit. He lives within us and he wants to transform us, but he does that not by his power. (laughs) That's him doing work in my life, just in case you're wondering. He doesn't do it that way. He says, hey, let's have a little bit of a talk about that jealousy issue. Come on, let's just come, come away with me. Let's have it. I say, no, 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 I've got ta- I haven't got time. I've got to try and compete with all my friends. I don't, I'm too busy. Hey, come and have a talk to me. I want to talk to you about how your heart's really aching. And I want to tell you that I love No, sorry, I haven't got time. I'm too busy. Go- hey, come here. I want to give you some of my fruit. I want to empower you to love these people that drive you bajoncas, Called you children, or my children keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It's a life-giving clue. You want to live a life that is celebrating the presence of God with us, the Spirit of God within you, then keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We set a lot of goals in life. We try really hard to achieve them. Some we're better at than others. And the goals that we set, we prioritise our life around if we're really serious. Weight loss for me. Mm, It's not that much of a priority. I'll eat a scone and jam and cream twice a week if I can. Not that big a priority, but the things that I really care about, I prioritise. You want to become a teacher? You study. You prioritise. You want to become a... What do you want to become? (laughs) A minister? There it is. You heard it first. You study. You prioritise. You set your time. You want to work in midwifery? like Martina did, you've got to work, you can't just turn up in places. We work towards the things that we care about. Want to be a person who lives in the presence of God? We've got to prioritise our time. Romans 8 calls us to walk in the spirit and when we walk in the spirit we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I might be the only person here who has lust of the flesh, but I have a hunch there might be one or two more that struggle with this. And we say, Holy Spirit, you should just fix me. I just want to be right. I don't want to have to wrestle with this anymore. But Romans calls us, walk in the Spirit. This is a different way of living. This is a different way of practice. This is a different way of priorities. And we need to set our whole body alignment in the direction of the Holy Spirit if we don't want to walk in the ways of the flesh. Paul and I watched the end of the Narnia movie last night. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe was on and we just happened to flick on the TV. Oh, I love this movie. But there's this scene in it where they get it wrong and we both said out loud, no. (laughs) That was our response. Aslan's in the witch's castle with the stone statues. You know the one? And he blows on them and their hair kind of blows and they come to life. But in the book... Aslan blows on their feet. And he says, doesn't matter if they're wicked or if they're good beforehand. If you set their feet in the right direction, the rest of them will follow. And so they all become part of the people of Aslan or the people of God. You know, we've got to set our feet in the right direction. We've got to walk in the spirit. And we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We can dismiss the Holy Spirit. We can say, Well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm happy with Jesus and God. We can do that. A lot of people do. I grew up in a church where we did that Father, Son, and the Holy Scripture, which is very handy because it gave us information, but it didn't give us power. We were powerless to complete the calling that we were crafted for. And we looked at the stories in the scripture and they just weren't in our own life because it's the spirit of God that makes us Christian, his spirit within us. And we can dismiss that if we like. We can say, no, no, we don't need miracles. We just live, we've got to be good, we just be good and we make a difference in this world. But good doesn't change world without the presence of God. I wanted to tell you, I don't know why, but I'm going to tell you this story, because as I was praying this morning, I thought, I'm going to tell you this story. It's a strange story around the reminder of the power of God. On the 2nd of February, I think it was four years ago, there was a tornado coming, not tornado, we don't have tornadoes, cyclone, thank you, coming towards Queensland. Does anyone remember? Queensland's had a couple of cyclones But this one wasn't the first one where the banana crops were, were, and the bananas were $11. It was the second one. It was Yazzie. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. And it was the 2nd of February, and I remember because that's the day before my birthday, and they were saying, we don't know where this thing's going to land, but this is a Category 5 cyclone, and if it lands in Toowoomba where we think it's going to land, it's going to wipe out the city. And I remember in my spirit hearing God whisper, and I'm sure it was God, he said, watch and pray. And I don't think he said it just to me. I think all over our nation, God whispered, hey, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. I love your nation. And so into the night, I sat up and I watched the news and I prayed. God, have mercy on our nation. If this cyclone hits Toowoomba, our city's going to be wiped out. Innocent people are going to die. And I know that I stood beside others who I don't even know were praying out there and together we cried, mercy God, love God, pour out your spirit, God. Let there be a miracle here today. And the cyclone touched down in the only uninhabited part of Queensland that it was aiming for. And not one soul was killed directly by it. Not one. And I put the news on going, you know what I'm like, it's a miracle. How could that happen? They all thought it was going to. And my second, not one. Not one media outlet said miracle. Lucky, great, fantastic, awesome. Not one thought that perhaps there was mercy attached to that miracle. But I know, I know that God heard the cries of his people because his spirit dwells within us and he calls us to pray and he lives and he releases his spirit and he acts when we pray and he responds when we call on his name because he lives within us and the same power that was poured out on the church at the very first birth dwells within us and we need to open our hearts to his power and be willing to follow his call of release to mission, release to bringing his kingdom to the communities that we live in. It's time to finish. Who's empty today? Who's empty today of the spirit? Who feels like, oh, stand up if you're empty today? Or no one's brave enough to say, Who needs a miracle today? Doesn't have to be a big one. Who needs peace and comfort today in their spirit? I'm not going to make you all stand, but feel free to stand. Open your hands if you want to. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, In this place we open our hearts to you on this day of Pentecost as we celebrate the birth of the church and we remember that for us we experience the living God dwelling within us and we ask just as you instructed us to that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would open heaven and that you would release yourself upon us, that you would meet our needs for those of us who are empty and dry and weary. We ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and flood us, that we might be strong and filled like a well of living water springing up from within us. For those of us here who need a miracle, maybe it's a big one, maybe it's just a little one, a breakthrough, but God, we put our worry into your hand, our need for a miracle into your hand and we say, Jesus, we cannot do this. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you release your miraculous power into this situation? And for those of us, Lord God, who just want to know for sure that you're more than just words in a book or a name that we sing, you are God of God, Lord of Lord, High King of Heaven and powerful Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be poured out upon us, that we might know your presence, that we might have a sense of your tangibility, that you would um, not convince us, Lord God, that we know you, the Living God, and that in our day today, as we pray, as we walk, as we think about things, that you would bring about your revelation within our lives, that we would be totally convinced by your presence. And that through your Holy Spirit, we would be missional carriers of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's salvation and the Holy Spirit's transformation to those with whom we share this earth. So I commission you, ladies and gentlemen, in the words of Jesus Christ, who says all authority is given to you and all power is given to you. Go into this world, and as you go, make disciples, teaching them about me, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and be certain and assured and totally convinced that I am with you always to the very end. Now go in peace to love and be loved and serve the Lord. Amen. We might um, sing, you don't have to stay if you've got to go, I know it's late. We might put that, our God is greater, and again, Rubes, uh, just in case people want a spot to meditate with that thought.